0: You're listening to the Passion Daily Podcast. This week, we're excited to bring you excerpts from Pastor Ben Stewart's newest book, Rest in War. It's our prayer that these moments together will help you learn how to struggle well, fight for progress, and to know the one who has fought for you. If today's content moves you, make sure to go and grab a copy of Rest in War wherever books are sold. Headwaters Reveal the Source. For many of us, our addictions are an escape from pain. The wound that causes the pain probably happened long ago and likely went unaddressed. When you received the wound, you also believed a lie. Maybe your parents divorced and in a moment of pain, a lie crept into your heart. You're not worth fighting for. Maybe it was a moment when you saw your father's disappointment in you. You could see it on his face. Your heart received the message, you are not enough. Or maybe your father was silent. When you desperately needed a voice of blessing in your life, the words never came. And with that deep wound came a belief. You're alone. No one will support you. If we're honest, many of us who are workaholics right now just find that under our ambitions and discipline is a sad little kid who just wants their dad's approval. The lie you're not accepted or loved is still embedded in our hearts and no amount of money or success can heal our wound. Now, Looking at your deep wounds and your response to them can leave you swimming in shame. That shame can make you want to run away from it all, to avoid it, deny it, or numb it. But ignoring a wound will not heal it. You do not mend a broken leg by pretending it does not exist. That will eventually cause problems for your entire body. You must face the injury. You must understand it so you can heal it. And when you're really ready to take it seriously, you must go all the way back to the original wound, the deepest cut. After James explained how temptation worked, he said, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. There's another key about how temptation works here. Our mind believes something that's not true. And that distortion of truth disorders our affections. Then we begin to willfully choose to go to the wrong places for answers or relief or comfort. But temptation begins with deception. Now notice the nature of the deception. James stated, do not be deceived. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James 1, 17. He didn't begin to enumerate a laundry list of deceptions that believers might fall for, like cheating is no big deal or lying is life enhancing or adultery is fun. He didn't look at the actions they may take downstream. He instead looked up to the headwaters to identify the source of their pain, which was stemming from their relationship with God. Our deepest problems are not rooted in procrastination or workaholism, lust or pride, fear or resentment, or even father wounds or family trauma. The deepest source of our sickness is a failure to understand something fundamental about the nature of our God. We often fail to see God as a father who gives good gifts to his children. We begin to doubt that he'll be someone we can count on. We start to think he'll shift on us or suddenly change or stop being gracious or trustworthy or good. We believe the lie that launches a million sins, the lie that God is not a good father who will take care of us. The Garden Deception Disaster We see this so clearly in the Garden of Eden. When the serpent first approached Eve, he did not come with some insane proposition like, hey, let's smoke crack and kill Adam. She would have flatly refused. How did he begin the conversation? He asked her, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? It's Genesis 3.1. The serpent started the conversation with theology, but look at how he did it. The name he used for God was the Hebrew word Elohim, which highlights his power. It's translated as God, which is certainly not a bad way to refer to God. Throughout Genesis 2, however, God is referred to as Yahweh Elohim, or the Lord God, 12 times in fact. Yahweh is his covenantal name, the special name he wanted to give his people to call him so they'd remember he loved them and had bound himself to them. So the enemy says, let's talk theology. And then he left out God's covenantal name. It's a small shift, but not an insignificant one. It's easier to transgress the laws of a distant deity than violate a relationship with the one who loves you intimately. Think about the seasons in life when you made your worst integrity-compromising decisions. If you trace it back, I would imagine they were seasons when you felt the most relational distance from God. If you cool the fire of your affections for God, you will go to find warmth somewhere else. Let's look back at the nature of Satan's questions. He, in essence, says, Eve, it seems like God has put some limitations on you. You can't eat from any tree you want, can you? He's holding out on you. Your religious convictions seem to be costing you an intriguing experience. Am I right, Eve? And Eve responded by repeating God's commands, but she misquotes him in three ways. First, the original language showed us that God had said, eat, eat, in Genesis 2.16. In Hebrew, if you wanted to emphasize a word, you repeat it. And God, in his first command of the young couple, doubled up the word eat. It was a command to discover and enjoy all that he had made. And when Eve recited it, though, she says it only once. We may eat in Genesis 3, 2. She undervalued God's privileges. He sounded way less generous and way less fun. Next, Eve said that they could not from the tree in the middle of the garden or touch it, in verse 3. But notice God did not say they could not touch it. They could tie a swing on it, build a treehouse in it. They just couldn't eat the fruit. She added to God's prohibitions. And in doing so, she made God more of a killjoy than he ever made himself out to be. Finally, Eve told the serpent, God said, you shall not eat lest you die, verse 3. This was wrong as well. According to the Hebrew, God had said, Die, die. He doubled that word as well. Literally, he said, Dying, you will die. You will lose spiritual life and physical life. And here Eve weakened the strength of God's penalty. Do you see how Eve's report made God sound? God was less personal. He was less generous and more restrictive. He was less majestic. Satan intentionally weakened her view of God's beauty and severity. Then and only then did he press his advantage. The temptation will not look beautiful unless God looks less lovely first. Satan convinced Eve that to truly experience life, she must rebel against the author of life. No more trusting God to tell her what is best. She must become the arbiter of what is truly good and evil. That was the true temptation of the tree. It was not just the experience of knowing good and evil. It was an attempt to grab the power of becoming the one who gets to decide what is good and evil. Eve took the matter into her own hands. Why? Because she believed God's hands were not trustworthy. This is the deception under the rebellion. It was never about fruit. It was about believing. God is not worthy to trust with my desires because he won't take good care of me. And when Eve believed that, she took the fruit, and a tsunami of sin and death broke into the world. Do you see it? Every temptation ends in destruction and begins in deception. Thanks for listening to the Passion Daily Podcast. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast wherever you stream it. You can also subscribe to the Passion City Church and Passion City Church DC podcasts for our full messages every Monday.